Welcome to this recording of the Activist Lawyer podcast brought to you from the Granite Podcast Studio in the heart of Newry City. We are delighted that you could join us at Activist Lawyer, a new podcast and online forum where we will be discussing all sorts of matters, including current issues as they unfold. We'll be engaging not only with lawyers, but people who are committed to highlighting and combating injustices and inequalities. We will bring you our thoughts and invite you to share yours. We'll be looking for contributors to our blog at www.activistlawyer.com. We've Jessica here. How's the campaign been going, Jessica, around the hashtag choose to challenge? Great, yes. Um, we're posting out as many as we can. Everyone's so good, taking the photo out with them. I'm trying to convince my boyfriend to stand with me. Haven't got around Woo-hoo. to it just yet, <laughs> but um, I'll hopefully convince him this weekend. But yes, everyone's still submitting and we're still posting, so keep them coming. And we're having great feedback from all our guests so far. So yeah, we're, we're going good. We're going good. So these are the little signposts that we have with various um, people can write their own phrases and we have some made up and you can contact us for one if you if you want Mm -hmm. and with the hashtag choose to challenge and take a photo of your organization you yourself your family whatever it is just to support um, International Women's Day and to let us know how you are going to adapt your choose to challenge for this month so today we will hear from another fantastic guest. She is going to talk about a very difficult topic, but we felt it necessary to have someone on this month for International Women's Day theme to discuss perinatal mental health. And we have been following the work already of Lindsay Robinson, who's from Northern Ireland and who is the founder of the Have You Seen That Girl movement, which is really just fantastic if you get a chance to check out her campaign uh, material there. Lindsay not only shared her lived experience to raise awareness about perinatal mental health and postnatal depression, but she campaigned for change and she was successful. So she will tell us all about that. She made a huge impact. And although we have had lawyers on the show uh, talking about their fantastic work in implementing, you know, real change within health, for example, education, fantastic work going on. It's important to remember that often this work is backed up and based on the work by grassroots activists, survivors and campaigners like Lindsay. And Lindsay made me think of my journey as a mother. And while I was never brave enough like she was um, to publicly share my struggles as a new mom um, or a mom to, to two children, um, others like her have encouraged me and I suppose friends and colleagues of mine to really open up feel less isolated and most importantly to seek help where it's needed and that message really comes across in today's recording. So Lindsay really bravely shares her story and we hope you enjoy this as part of our International Women's Day theme. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. Today we are very lucky to be joined by campaigner for maternal mental health Lindsay Robinson. Lindsay thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you. It's lovely to be able to be here with you. Thanks a million. Well, for our listeners, just a wee introduction to Lindsay and what she's been doing. Lindsay is the founder of Have You Seen That Girl, which I follow. It's an award-winning movement dedicated to raising awareness of maternal and parental mental health and signposting parents to help, support and community. 
Lindsay is also a blogger, writer, speaker and campaigner for maternal mental health services across the UK and has been spearheading the specialist perinatal NI campaign for the last five years. So God, that's a lot, Lindsay. Uh, well done on, on all of your work to date. And it's fantastic to have the opportunity to talk to you about all of all of your work today. I will say this topic is is quite difficult, you know, mm. and it's a topic whereby anything around mental health, there's still a stigma attached um, to discussing perinatal mental health among you know all, all mental health conditions. Uh, so it's really great to have you and anybody who comes out and speaks about this and raises awareness are really very brave to do so and to engage in open and honest discussions. And I think the more that happens, it seems to um, work in terms of putting it on the agenda and making sure it stays there. So Lindy, Lindsay, again, a very important topic. And just for our listeners, um, I might ask you to start by just explaining what maternal mental health entails in terms of what you've been campaigning for and perhaps decipher, you know, the two phrases we read a lot about, especially recently around perinatal mental health and perhaps postnatal depression, if that's okay. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so the term you probably will hear quite a bit when we talk about maternal mental health is the term you've really referred to there um, as in perinatal. And that really means um, the time from a woman becomes pregnant and then up until a year after she gives birth. And the term postnatal depression is probably one that has been used um, for the last number of years to cover a multitude of things. And we've kind of moved away from just suggesting that a mum might struggle with postnatal depression if she's struggling with her maternal mental health because the reality is that for many mums it's, it's more than postnatal depression. Mm-hmm. It could be depression that begins in the um, antenatally, so actually it's, it's depression when the mum is pregnant and then also obviously after she's had the baby. But many mums also struggle with anxiety, both yeah. in pregnancy and postnatally. And as well as depression and anxiety, mums struggle with birth trauma or PTSD and maternal OCD. So it really is a catch-all term for when a mum has a mental health issue or illness related to becoming pregnant or the first year after giving birth. Okay. And in terms of just looking at Northern Ireland, our little corner of the world here, are the figures quite high? I mean, you've probably done quite a bit of research around this as part of your campaign. What kind of figures are we looking at around mums and I guess dads as well, parents in general? Well, anywhere up to about 20% of mums can struggle with a mental health issue around mm-hmm. becoming a parent. And that's probably quite standard across most of the UK and Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not particularly higher here um, for maternal mental health. Um, but also dads can struggle as well. And that's sometimes something we, we forget. Mm-hmm. Um, dads struggle with um, depression or anxiety and can also themselves struggle with issues around birth trauma if they've been present at the birth. Sure. And we, we think around about 10% of dads will struggle with one of those issues as well. Mm-hmm. And just what are, what have the challenges been? I mean, we'll get to your story shortly. Um, in general, what kind of services are out there? Or I know your movement has sought to improve access to that. But what, I mean, is it therapy or is it provided by the local trusts? How, how does it work if people do need support, women in particular? Well, I mean, there is an awful lot of fantastic support available in the community and with community and the voluntary sector. So a lot of that could be some sort of access to counselling or peer support or even complementary therapies as well, which can really help a mum or dad who is struggling. And those are very good for those who perhaps come under the mild to moderate Mm -hmm. um, issue of depression or anxiety. But for mums or dads who are struggling and need specialist treatment and specialist care, the problem here for Northern Ireland has been that for the last number of years, 
80% of mums do not have access to that sort of treatment. Wow. So it's only available at the minute in the Belfast Trust. And that's not even a full-time team. It's a fantastic team. They do a marvellous job, but it's only a part-time team as well. So that is why 80% of mums miss out on access mm. to that really important specialist treatment. And, and that's really not, not good enough. And the other thing that we don't have is we don't have a mother and baby unit. And that's an inpatient facility that if mum needed to go um, into hospital for some treatment around her, her mental health, mm-hmm. um, she'd have to go into an adult psychiatric ward. And that is, first of all, really not suitable for many reasons, but most importantly, because she can't bring her baby with her. So mum and the baby have to be separated. And normally mum needs to be in hospital quite normally, quite soon after birth as well. So it's something that would happen, you know, maybe within the first few weeks or even the first month. So you can imagine that having to leave your baby at home and go into an adult psychiatric ward on your own and postnatally mm-hmm. is not at all acceptable and so we don't have access to one of those here in Northern Ireland and there isn't even one on the whole island of Ireland that a mum could be um, you know transferred into. Right so there's there is still a gap there quite a seismic gap and, and a lot of work to be done um, and I mean we all know somebody and we're bound to whether it's it's been shared or not we, you know we're bound to know given the statistics somebody close to us and um, whether it's a friend or a sister or whatever who has suffered this sometimes it's not always evident um but just I, I listened to your TED X talk as well Lindsay and I've been reading just a bit about your campaign the title of that is what if it isn't the time of your life this was the the mm-hmm. talk that you gave and I mean, that it really hits me, that, that title, you know, where it's really turning, I guess, this image of motherhood or parenthood mm-hmm. on its head. And you've been able to share your reality in a very open and honest way. Do you mind maybe talking to us a little bit about your own journey and how you got to this stage where you thought, you know, you felt the need to maybe campaign and get involved and do something about this issue? Absolutely. Um, so I was diagnosed with postnatal depression and anxiety, but that wasn't actually until um, our little boy who's called Ruben until just before his second birthday. And the reality is, as I, I became aware, to be honest, as I began to recover, that actually I had started to be mentally unwell during pregnancy, but unfortunately it hadn't been picked up at mm-hmm. that time. And I continued to be unwell then postnatally for those um, two years after giving birth. And so in pregnancy, it really started out as a lot of anxiety and stress and feeling very overwhelmed. And to be honest, I had very little clue about the area of maternal mental health that I'd never really heard it talked about before. And so I assumed that I was feeling how I was because we were having a bit of a stressful pregnancy with lots of um, queries over um, Ruben's health at that stage and just lots of things didn't seem to be going right. So I just assumed that. That's probably why I was feeling the way I was. As I say, nobody had ever talked to me about my mental health or even asked how I was feeling in the midst of it. And so I kind of kept my head down and kept going, thinking that once um, our baby arrived and once things became clearer about what the future held, I would be feeling much better. And I really couldn't wait, to be honest, for that day to to come. But unfortunately, um, as lovely as it was for Ruben to arrive and to arrive very healthy, um, whenever I I first saw Ruben after the C-section, I looked at him as a little baby and I thought, that's not my baby, I haven't even had a baby. And that sounds very strange. And even today, just to be able to say that again, still, mm-hmm. it still sounds strange to me. But um, I was mentally unwell at that stage. I was completely 
um, detached from reality. I couldn't understand what had happened. I found it very hard to believe that I had actually become a mum to this tiny little baby. And as the days and weeks went on, I, things just got worse for me. I really struggled to to cope. And I did speak to a couple of different healthcare professionals in the first couple of months after Ruben was born. But I got some helpful advice, I suppose, in some ways about getting out for a walk and seeing a friend for a coffee, mm. um, which are absolutely fine and actually very important for new mums. But I was mentally unwell and what I really needed was treatment and support for that. And unfortunately, I, I didn't get it. And so I then struggled on for two years after that, really, until I finally did get help and support. And I became, through that whole season, very unwell. So struggled to leave the house. I struggled to eat or sleep. Um, I really wanted to give up on life altogether. Things were very dark and very times dangerous and difficult um, for us until I finally did get the help and support, which was medication mm-hmm. um, for both depression and anxiety and then some uh, psychological therapy and treatment. Wow. So it did take that long to diagnose. And you've spoken as well about the mum gene. Um, you know, and that's a really great way to describe it. How, I mean, it must have had such an impact on you when we think of all these expectations on, on new mothers and women that you kind of feel, well, I'm just not feeling that and I'm, I'm not getting there. So that in itself can only serve to add to the anxiety that you're already feeling, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So I, because I didn't get that help that I really needed and deserved whenever I spoke mm-hmm. to those healthcare professionals, I suppose I reasoned to myself that not every mum must feel the way I do because I would have heard of it before now. Yeah. And so what I then told myself was, well, Lindsay, this is somehow your fault. You've either done something wrong or you've missed the mum gene, mm-hmm. which means that you aren't experiencing this the way that you imagined or the way the movies show you or the books tell you sure. about. And I suppose then I carried that real feeling of guilt and secrecy and shame and blame that somehow that how I was really deeply struggling was my fault and I suppose that fueled the the silence um after those first two appointments for for a long time and meant that I had again I didn't know even where to look at that stage even to meet to meet other mums or to find support but it meant that I definitely wasn't willing to because I assumed this was something that I had done. That is so difficult it's so hard but listening to your story and I was really I guess excited to speak to you today but it also I've been mulling it over for a few days now just in advance of our recording about my own situation not to bring it back to me but it really is that pressure that you feel especially as a new parent a first time Mm mum where you've just mentioned there about you know this image in the media and then maybe using excuses as well to as a reason for your feelings so I'm just hormonal or this is normal Mm -hmm. because I'm I'm losing sleep and I'm obviously going to feel like this because I'm tired but really it's one or two or three steps beyond that it's you know it's much more serious than that it's having that help and support to be able to distinguish between I guess what they call baby blues and you know uh, this type of um, exhaustion associated with maybe feeling that little level of anxiety or depression to something more serious than that Um, you know and it's very easy for mums to brush it off I think and come up with excuses for it which isn't their fault it's you know and, and as you said that guilt feeling then and then maybe that acting as a barrier to seeking support and seeking help so how do we get over that or I mean you're doing a fantastic job yourself and awareness is is the word that we we're using 
but how do we make women aware of the services and maybe encourage them to understand what's happening to them or is it something that service providers and experts need to kind of push a little bit more? I think there's lots that all of us can actually do no matter who we are to to raise awareness. So one of the lovely things has been through Habitat Seen That Girl over these last five years mm-hmm. is that well over 100 mums have shared their story of becoming a parent. Mm-hmm. And for some of them, for all of them, that has looked very different. But actually, um, other mums have been able to click in and read them, particularly if it's written by a friend, so they're really keen to read what their friend has written. Yeah. And all of that helps to raise awareness or maybe that aha or light bulb moment when somebody thinks, oh, goodness, yes, mm-hmm. that mirrors my experience. And so that is very powerful, that lived experience. Mm-hmm. Um, people that are really are experts, and I think it's really important that we do um, give time and space for mums to to share their stories and share their experiences with others. Yeah. But of course there is a responsibility, even for society and how we talk about motherhood. Mm-hmm. And like we've already said, not to reflect it as something that's always perfect and always beautiful. And if it's not going well, then you're doing it wrong sort of thing. Um, yeah. The idea that actually some days are really hard, some days are really long. And actually while, while some of that is quite normal to feel like that as a parent, if you are struggling and um, more than you're not struggling, then actually it's important to ask for help. It's more than okay to ask for help. It's really important to ask for help. And then, yes, of course, like you already mentioned, it is really important that our healthcare providers are really clued in to be asking a mum about her mental health and well-being, to be watching a mum for her mental health and well-being. And I don't mean that in a strange way, but just knowing to look for cues. I, um, I know what you how mean. Mom doing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it just reminds me of the first. So I had a, a baby, my first child back in 2013. And I remember the health visitor lingering on for a little bit longer. And maybe she'd take me if there was someone else in the house and she'd take me aside separately and just do this little check. Are you OK, I should say. And I, I was almost offended by this at the time, <laughs> thinking, am I acting strange or is there something going wrong here that she keeps asking me this? And it's only looking back now. What she was saying was somebody on absolute adrenaline who was Mm -hmm. having this um, need to, you know, first baby who was born premature, traumatic in itself. It was a complete surprise. (laughs) And, you know, you're worried about the health of that child and all the rest. But suddenly I am operating at 90 miles an hour on adrenaline the house is spotless the hair's done the makeup's done I'm dressed and I'm thinking what are people talking about this is you know you know this whole stress about having a baby and this went on for weeks and weeks there were people calling over offering help do you need help you know why don't you go and have a wee rest and we look after the baby no no why don't you sit down and have have some cake and tea and I probably made the cake myself and Uh. then it all hit it all came tumbling down and it was the exhaustion coupled with um, everything else and a fear and then complete depression and anxiety Mm. and this went on and on and I'm only thinking now when I speak to you I do remember the health visitor she must have noticed something or there were cues there that this there was something not right and it, it wasn't me putting a mask on or trying to be someone else that is genuinely how I felt I was living off this adrenaline but something had to give And it went from bad to worse and it spiralled out of control then. But it's just Mm -hmm. listening to your story and nobody would know that I wouldn't have discussed it at that time. And it only is coming around to baby number two where you start to think, okay, nothing is a walk in the park. This is is not easy, Um, but you're prepared a little bit more mentally. I did get help, but like you, it wasn't until about two years later 
that I was actually um, in receipt of professional uh, help at that time. It took that long. So it's, it's similar. But then the second baby, you're, I was kind of a bit more mindful of it and a little bit more prepared, but being realistic and getting real and saying, look, if people offer you help, take it. If your house <laughs> is falling around you, who cares? These things are not important. Lindsay, I, I know you're familiar with this organisation in, in Uri is Centred Soul, which is, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned about complementary therapies and things like that. With the second baby, I availed of some of their services. And I remember on a Friday night going, you know, um, for this mindful guided meditation and literally passing out asleep where they'd have to wake me up because I was in this state of complete <laughs> relaxation. The first baby, I would never have considered that. I would have turned my nose up at that kind of thing and thought, no, just mm. get on with it, you know. But it's really important to be aware of those services and also the counselling, the very specific tailored counselling that's there for mums. Mm-hmm. Um, again, some of it's funded, some of it's part funded and some of it you can pay for. So that's the one area that I'm uh, familiar with here locally. But again, um, there are people that I would talk to that wouldn't know about it and wouldn't are still there's that stigma attached that maybe they wouldn't, you know, feel comfortable reaching out. So mm. going back to your story and your 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 I suppose it's your your campaign and your movement. I mean, it's working wonders if people are able to come on. And I, I read it and I would never have shared this. Nobody would know, you know, but it's it's seen that it's empowering, I think, to hear someone's journey and think, well, look, that happened to me. And if I share it, as you said, with a friend and it's realising that person's experience as well does make people feel, well, I'm not alone. This isn't just me. This is something that's come. So it's it's really fantastic that that you were able to do that. Just in terms of that, as well as raising awareness, um, your campaign was very successful (laughs) quite recently (laughs) in securing funding. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, so um, probably about, I've lost track of time now, but I think it's either four or five weeks ago, Mm. we had a big success after many years of campaigning. I've been involved in the campaign for, it'll be nearly six years actually now that we're into 2021, but um, we finally managed to get funding signed off from the Department of Health and the Health Minister, which means that specialist services will now be available in each of the five health trusts. So no longer will it only be the Belfast Trust, but actually those teams will be available in each of the five trusts. And those will be community-based specialist teams, which will have um, psychiatry, psychology, CPN, social work, midwife, health visitor and peer support all all together under the same umbrella working together to look after mums in that area who need some specialist support during either the antenatal period or the peri- or the postnatal period and honestly we uh, we're absolutely delighted it's it's absolutely brilliant to know that those services are coming and they are coming hopefully quite soon Good. we are working with the public health agency as we speak to um, drop the implementation teams for each of those areas and hopefully soon to begin to recruit some of those posts so I would really hope that before sort of the autumn of this year, we'll begin to see some of those teams at least up and running in some shape or form, obviously realising that we need to recruit quite a few members of staff. So it might take a little bit longer, yes. but certainly we should be able to see mums getting access to better support in some shape or form um, later on this year with much more to come as the teams properly get established. But it's absolutely brilliant news for mums who will need access to that, who haven't had that support up until now. And we're, we're 
honestly thoroughly delighted. I'm sure you are. <laughs> Such to, to work so hard, I guess, share your story can't be entirely because you must have and create a movement that ends in such, an, I'm not saying that it's ended, but that you've received such a fantastic outcome for women and men, for parents across Northern Ireland. It's absolutely fantastic. And when you think about the figures, I mean, the 80% who do suffer that don't have that support, that is seismic. That's a massive shift. And just in terms of, so if the support is there as well, and I know your um, your movement, have you seen that girl? How do you see that evolving as well? I mean, what's next for you in terms of, in, will you remain engaged in this area? Do you think you'd probably or would you do more work around the awareness piece yeah so so the campaign has been very successful and the specialist services are coming but actually that's one part of the campaign the other part of our campaign as I mentioned already is the mother and baby unit which we don't have and so as we begin to get these teams up and running over the next few months our attention turns again to the mother and baby unit and preparing a business case for that and then campaigning and lobbying and the Department of Health and the Health Minister um, to establish a mother and baby unit here. So Have You Seen That Girl will continue to work and hopefully to work in the forefront of campaigning um, for the mother and baby unit for however long that takes, to be honest. And that probably will take a a couple of years, we imagine. We're working at the minute with the Department of Health to make sure that that is in the the mental health strategy, the 10-year mental health strategy that's out for consultation at the minute. And so Have You Seen That Girl definitely will continue in some shape or form. I think that will probably evolve over the, the time being. I continue to work with the public health agency to, to make sure that the teams are implemented. And I think I probably always, if I can, um, just use my voice. My story mm-hmm. might be quite old now, but I'll continue to use my voice as much as I can to advocate mm-hmm. for parents, particularly in the perinatal period, period, to make sure that they get the help that they need. Fantastic. And even for people reading um, up on your campaign and some of the materials and resources you have there, I mean, what it's already done is help to start to to break down the stigma, you know, remove the barriers and to encourage honest conversations. And I've I've seen that Mm -hmm. happening just with people who are familiar with your work, you know, and and other people who are active. It's so important to to start that way, to have honest and open conversations uh, to help change people's perceptions and to recognise the reality out there for parents and that it isn't all a walk in the park uh, like (laughs) I initially thought that it might be and tried to maybe live up to that expectation a little bit the first time around. And I'm really keen to see how everything evolves and to see where you go next with your uh, movement. So at the start of our introduction, we mentioned that Lindsay is speaking today as part of our series on International Women's Day Stroke Month that we're having here at Activist Air. So the theme is Choose to Challenge, which I think is fantastic. It's a really relevant theme. Lindsay, what does this mean to you? So this is the global theme, I guess, for International Women's Day and celebrating it. Well, I suppose um, we, we can all choose to challenge things that we see around us that maybe aren't working as we think they should or they could. And I think it's, it's lovely because it empowers every single one of us to see what is happening in our own lives or in our own area and see how we can play a part to, to make a change. And I think we all do that in lots of different ways. Sometimes it's very high profile, but other mm-hmm. times it's not. And neither is more important than the other, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, living a life where we choose to challenge things around us isn't always easy, but it's really, really important. 
Yeah, it absolutely is. And just on a personal level, as somebody who did push the, the, the barriers and really, you know, you opened up, took a stand. How has that felt on a, a personal level? Have you found it rewarding in the sense that it's it's something you've enjoyed doing? I guess I know it was talking about a very difficult issue, but is there any way that, I mean, somebody listening, you know, how would you inspire them to go on a similar journey? Well, yes, I mean, obviously a few weeks ago, as the invitation came in to meet with the health minister and he was about to make this announcement, it was absolutely lovely and I cried and danced that whole day, probably the whole <laughs> week after it, to be honest, and it, that was a lovely um, celebratory moment. But the reality is um, campaigning can be long at times and it yeah. can be hard, and particularly if you campaign from any sort of lived experience or something that has touched your life. And it can be difficult. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'll say that over the, the five years involved in it, I had great moments. And I also had moments where I questioned whether I should keep going. And I think the one really important thing I learned in those moments where everything seemed too hard was, I think there's that familiar saying, when that happens, learn to rest, not to quit. Yeah. And so what I realized was, actually, maybe I just need to take a week to take a step back and not tell my story and not go to meetings and just take a bit of a time yeah. to gather my head and my thoughts. And I tended to do that and then I would come back raring to go and ready to, to get back to work again. But it took me time to, le- to learn that, to be honest, because mm. obviously I felt like, oh, I should be really passionate about this and I should be thinking about it every day and I should be making a change every day. But actually there is a balance to be had. And I think that's the mark of a really good campaign when you do learn um, yes. either as a team or by yourself how to balance it well so that you Absolutely. can keep going and so that you don't maybe fall at the hurdles where it, where it is hard but I honestly would encourage anyone whatever the issue is if there's something that you are really passionate about or that you think needs to be changed and you um, really want to get involved in it do believe that your voice and your experience can make a difference I would never have ever guessed that whenever I began to talk a bit more publicly about my experience that we'd be here today I couldn't have written this for myself but actually, it's been a real privilege to be involved yeah. in this campaign. And I am, um, I can't honestly say that I'm thankful for those two years where um, I was so very ill. Yeah. But I'm definitely thankful for the opportunity that I've had to be involved in this and to know that other mums and dads are now going to have access to the services they need and deserve. Absolutely. It was so, so fantastic. And such great advice there for anybody listening who, as you said, if you're passionate about something, but also practical advice there, which we don't often get, you know, it's, it's fine to be passionate and to start a campaign or to start, to, you know, your own version of activism around an issue. But you're right. I mean, learning to have a rest, step back for a little while, knowing that, you know, it's your personal journey that you're sharing in most cases. And um, that's probably more proactive than than you realize the title of our podcast is activist lawyer uh, but this month we've been celebrating the work of campaigners activists in general you know people who have been the movers and shakers making things happen and making things change and I mean you are a perfect example of that Lindsay in really <laughs> representing that so thank you so much for joining us today it's been fantastic and we will keep in touch with you around all of your activities and if anybody wants to find out more have you seen that girl the website really contains all the information doesn't it Lindsay as a resource yeah so have a look at that and you're also on um, Instagram as well and Twitter so have a look we'll be sharing some of the posts as well and thank you again for joining us oh thank you sir it's been so lovely to talk to you and I really appreciate the opportunity to come and join you for International Women's Day and to talk about Choose the Challenge so thank you so much for having me on not at all thanks so much
This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.